Well, all right. It is uh, great to see you all here at the Medina East Campus this morning as we are in the third week of this series that we've been journeying through together that we've been calling Highlight God Through You. And if you happen to be a guest with us here today, it's your first time at Grace Church, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. And so if you're new to the conversation, if you're kind of new to Grace, or if you missed the past couple of weeks, man, we're so glad to uh, kind of have you here for this conversation that we've been in called Highlight God Through You. And basically, just to kind of help you, what this whole series is, is it's basically a conversation that is based out of this incredible, incredible New Testament book, uh, the book of First Peter. And so what we've been doing is we've been basing this whole sort of topic, this whole series out of this incredible, incredible New Testament book that was written nearly 2,000 years ago, uh, the book of First Peter. And here's what we've been saying uh, throughout this series. We've been saying that this book that we're studying, the book of First Peter, even though it's nearly 2,000 years old, it's estimated that it was written in about 64 AD, that it is strikingly relevant to the time and the place that we find ourselves in today as a society, as a culture as a people. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about this. We said, what was the circumstance in which 1 Peter was written? And we said, back in 64 AD, here's just kind of a snapshot of what was going on. So Peter, who was an apostle, he was an early church leader, he actually was writing to all the churches, all the Christians who were scattered around the ancient world at that time. And we said he was writing into a situation where Christians were following Jesus in a society in which they were the cultural minority. And so he said, during this time, Christians were not the majority consensus of the people of that time. Uh, that Christianity at that time was on the fringes. And so Christians would have been the minority. In addition to that, Christians were having to learn how to navigate their faith in a society that was largely hostile to and misunderstanding of the message of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about that. We said, this is a society in which uh, the message of Jesus was met with much skepticism and oftentimes was, was met with much antagonism. And all of that kind of amounted to this, that there were rising social and political pressures in this time to abandon Christ and his teachings. So he said that those who follow Jesus because of the antagonism towards Christianity and the skepticism and misunderstanding around the message of Jesus, there was rising social pressure for people to abandon their faith, uh, both socially and politically. And so we said, you know, it doesn't probably take much for you to see that when you look at just these simple bullets about what was going on back in this time, that we live in a time that's very parallel to that. And we said that while, you know, maybe it's not an exact kind of, you know, we don't live in an exact situation like this, that our society today is one that is moving more and more towards a First Peter type of, type of situation. And so we talked about that a couple weeks ago. We said, you know, now today, uh, Christianity is not the majority religion in our country. And so we talked about that. We said that more and more uh, Christians are becoming the minority in the society that we live in. And we also talked about how today, maybe more than ever, at least in, in may, many of our lifetimes, that Christianity is oftentimes met with misunderstanding, met with skepticism, met with suspicious and, suspicion, and oftentimes even met with hostility. And there is rising pressure socially and politically for those who follow Jesus to abandon their faith. And so we said that, yeah, it seems like this is a strikingly relevant book to the time and place that we find ourselves in. And so what Peter's gonna do is he's gonna write to these Christians that are in this scenario, and he's basically gonna talk to them about how do you navigate your faith 
in a society like this? How do you live out your faith in a time and place where people misunderstand or are hostile to uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you do that? And so that's why we're reading this book too, because we're asking the same question. How do those who follow Jesus, which is many of you in this room, I know it's not all of you. Some of you maybe are here today and you're still kind of investigating Christianity. Maybe you're trying to figure out the whole Jesus thing, which by the way, if that's you, we say this all the time and we genuinely mean it. We count it an honor and a privilege that you would let us be part of your investigation. You could do anything you want with your Sunday morning. And the fact that you would allow us to speak into that investigation, we, we don't take that lightly. Uh, but for those of us who do follow Christ, the question is, how do we navigate our faith in a society like this? Well, that's what Peter helps us with. And we said, you can actually summarize, you can actually summarize the entire message of 1 Peter in one really, really simple illustration. And the illustration we've been using is this right here. We said that really, if you could just explain Peter's message in one simple illustration, it's this. Peter's gonna say that Christians should live like highlighters, that Christians should live like highlighters. And we talked about that. We said, you know, highlighters are interesting if you actually stop and think about it. Highlighters are almost unlike anything else that's out there because highlighters are created with a specific intention. And that intention is not that they're created as an end in themselves but highlighters are created to draw attention to something else. That is their created intended purpose. I guess you could put it this way. Highlighters exist to glorify something else. That's why they're made. And so if I, if I highlight a word on a page, what is the job of the highlighter? Well, the job of the highlighter is to stand out and it's to look different, but not so that you will simply look at it, but that you'll look through it and be able to see something behind it. And so we said in the same way, this is how Christians are to live. Those who follow Jesus are to stand out in the world in which they live in, but not in such a way that it just causes people to look at us, but that they look through us and they can see the God that we worship and the God that we love in us, that the character of God and the love of God and the priorities of God will shine through us. And so Christians are to live like highlighters. And so what we've been doing in the series is real practically, we've been saying, so what does that look like then? Practically speaking, how do Christians live a life that stands out as highlighters? And so uh, each week we're kind of doing that. So last week, we looked at one of the major themes in the book of First Peter, and we said something pretty amazing that, that, that we saw that Peter said, and that's this, is that Peter said one of the ways that Christians highlight God is we highlight God through our suffering. And Peter talked about that. He said that, listen, your suffering, your suffering is actually one of the greatest opportunities for the love and the character of God to be highlighted through you. If you missed that talk last week, I'd encourage you, you can go back, you can listen to that, you can watch that, grab that on our podcast, our app, and our website. All of those are for free. But this week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at another major theme, and here's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about what Peter shows us, and that is that Christians can live like highlighters by highlighting God through our good, through our good. And so this is gonna be a major theme in the book of 1 Peter. Now, what am I talking about when I say that Christians can live like highlighters through our good. Well, let me show you what I mean. So if you got your Bible, why don't you open it up with me? We're gonna go to 1 Peter chapter two, okay? So as we're journeying through the book of 1 Peter, we're gonna continue into chapter two here today. And so go ahead and grab a Bible. It's gonna be found on page 851 in the Bibles that are under the chairs. And so if you didn't bring a Bible, feel free to make use of one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to have one of those, okay? We'd love to give you a Bible. Take it home and read it if you don't have one. So 1 Peter chapter two, 
Now, as you're locating that, and before we jump in, let me just kind of reiterate something. If you were here last week, you might remember we talked all about suffering. And what I said last week was I said, if you study the book of 1 Peter, without a doubt, the primary theme of the book of 1 Peter is how to handle suffering. That's the big theme. In fact, we said this. We said that the word suffer in one of its various forms is gonna show up a total of 19 times throughout the book of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter is very short. It's only five chapters long. And 19 times it talks about suffering. That is by far the primary theme in this book. But this theme, the theme of our good, is a very close second. And so what you'll see is that the term good in its various forms is gonna show up 17 times in the book of 1 Peter. And so this is something that Peter's gonna talk about. He's gonna say, look, you can highlight God through our good, through your good. And what I wanna show you today and what I think Peter is going to reveal to us is that there are three specific ways, three specific ways that God is highlighted through our good. And what are those? Well, let me just tell you what they are and then we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about each of them. But here's what we're gonna see. I think what Peter's gonna say is that Christians highlight God through our good and what kinds of good he's gonna say by living good lives, by doing good deeds and by speaking good words. I think in the book of 1 Peter, we're gonna see that all three of these work together, but Peter's gonna say that Christians, Christians should live in such a way that they live good lives, that they do good deeds, and that they speak good words. Now, let's start by talking about the first one. What do we mean when we say good lives? What does it mean to live a good life? All right, let's take a look at this. Uh, 1 Peter chapter two, let's start off in verse 11. Verse 11, here's what Peter says. He says, dear friends, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. All right, so let's just go ahead and hit pause there for a minute and think about what he just said. I think what he just says right here is very helpful, is very helpful. So notice how he starts. He says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now, I'm not gonna spend too much time talking about that because if you were with us a couple weeks ago, you might remember we said that this is actually one of the primary ways that Peter refers to Christians. He's gonna call them foreigners. He's gonna call Christians exiles. He's gonna call them aliens and strangers in a foreign land. Now, what's he talking about? Well, here's what Peter's talking about. He's saying Christians should live like they're not from around here, that Christians should look different, that we should be alien, that we should look weird to people in the world that we live. But the question is, if Christians are supposed to stand out and look weird, what is it that's supposed to make us look weird, right? Is it our haircut? Is it you know, the way we dress? Is it that you have a Jesus fish on the back of your car? What is it that's supposed to make you stand out? And the answer is none of those things What's supposed to make you stand out, now first off, notice he's gonna say, what's gonna make you stand out is what you don't do, partially. And what is it that you don't do? He says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now I just wanna tell you, I think what he's saying here is so, is so helpful, is so helpful, and I'll tell you why. So some of you have translations and maybe it doesn't say sinful desires, maybe it says fleshly desires. And here's the idea. It literally means our natural, carnal, or fleshly impulses. That's what it's referring to. And Peter's, what Peter's saying here is he's saying, abstain from your natural, fleshly, carnal impulse, which wages war, he says, against your soul. Now, here's why I think this is so helpful. Peter is not denying, he is not denying that there is an inner struggle inside of every single one of us to do what's right and to do what's good. In other words, what Peter's saying is, listen, 
most of us, all of us, do not naturally want to do what's right and naturally do what is good. It doesn't come instinctual to us. So I'll just give you a silly example on this, um, but I think you can probably relate with this. So here's an example. My natural impulse, okay, is that if you, if you hit me, and I'm just telling you, this is my natural impulse, whether it's an accident, whether it was on purpose, whether it's, it was for fun, my natural impulse, if you hit me, is to hit you back. And that's just in me. Even if you're twice my size, it's completely illogical. That is my natural impulse. And that is activated, and that's the first thing I wanna do. And this happens even when it makes no sense. So here's a kind of a, a silly example. Uh, years ago, about six years ago, uh, when this campus was first developing, uh, we actually were gonna have a work project day. And so uh, what, what some of you might not know is that the space that you're sitting in right now, uh, before it was what it is now, it used to be just a, a kind of a bare warehouse. And so it was just concrete and steel and it was unfinished. And uh, we were gonna have a work project day where we were gonna clean out the warehouse. So there's a bunch of stuff that was in here. And so we were gonna throw some of it away and we we're gonna put some of it in storage. And so I got here extra early because I was kind of uh, organizing this, this, this event. And I got here extra early to prepare things. And one of the first things I did was I opened up a garage door. So there used to be a giant industrial sized garage door that went from the floor all the way to the ceiling that was right up against this wall. And so the first thing I did is I went to open that up so we could have some easy access to the the dumpster. So I went and I hit the garage door opener and the garage door started to open and then it got stuck at one point and I heard this clicking noise coming from the ceiling. And I thought, well, what's that? So naturally I looked up to see what the noise was. And as soon as I looked up, it felt like someone just punched me in the face as hard as they could, right in the mouth. I mean, just boom, knocked me to the ground. And what had happened was there was a chain that was running that uh, garage door opener, industrial sized chain. It had broke and from the ceiling, it fell down and it hit me right in the mouth. Cut my lip open, there was blood all over the place. And let me just tell you, my natural desire, my first impulse was not to say, ouch, I should really seek medical attention. <laughs> my natural desire was to say um, something different and then, and then, this, and I'm just telling you, this is just me. It's totally illogical. My natural desire was to clench my teeth and clench my fists and look for something to punch back. And I was like, I, what am I gonna punch? What am I gonna do? No one, it's nobody's, but I'm just telling you, that's what's in me. Now, let me just tell you this real quick. We say this at the Medina campus quite often, but I think it's worth saying again. Listen, your circumstances do not make you sin. They do not. They simply reveal the sin that's already in you. Your spouse does not make you sin. Your ex-spouse does not make you sin. Your roommate does not make you sin. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend does not make you sin. Your kids make you sin sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, now, listen, all they do is they, they, just, they just bring out what's already in you. And what Peter's saying here, I think is powerful because what he's saying is this, is that, listen, just because you're a Christian, just because you're a Christian, doesn't mean that you're automatically going to want to do the right or good thing. You're not. And I think that's really honest and I think that's really helpful because I know that's true for me. I often don't automatically want to do the right thing. If someone hits me, I want to hit them back. If someone hurts me, I want to hurt them back. If someone insults me, I want to insult them back. 
And what he's saying here is he's saying Christians need to look different. And one of the ways that we do that is by what we don't do, by what we don't do. Well, then what, what are we to do then? Well, look what Peter goes on to say, verse 12. He says, live such, now here it is, live such good lives, good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Now, this is pretty cool. I actually really love what Peter says here. He says, Christians, don't act on your impulse, but you should be known for living such good lives. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it's pretty cool. If you look at the word good in the original language, it's actually a really fascinating word. So there's a couple of different words that are used in the New Testament that are translated good. Uh, One of them is the word agathos. And the word agathos, what that literally means, it's that which is morally good. So the moral standard of goodness, that's the idea of agathos. That is not the word that is used here. Now, now what's interesting is the word that is used is the word kolos, kolos, and it includes the idea of being morally excellent. But it actually is literally translated this. How cool is this? The word kolos is literally translated beautiful. It's translated attractive. It's translated handsome. So why don't you turn to someone next to you and say, you look very coloss today. Go ahead and do that. Turn to someone next to you and say, you look very coloss. And uh, by the way, if you happen to be single and that other person happens to be single, you're welcome. All right, there's your, <laughs> there's your assist. The rest is on you. But man, coloss, coloss. I love this. He says Christians are to live beautiful lives. They're to be attractive. There's something about the way in which Christians live that should cause people to want to be near it, to to want to lean into it, to want to see it. It's to be beautiful. It's to be beautiful and praiseworthy. And when he talks about lives, some of your translations put it, your manner of life. And this is the idea of the day-to-day pattern. This is over time. This is the idea of character and integrity and goodness over time, over time. He says Christians should live a beautiful pattern of life, an attractive way of living. And then notice what he says. He says they're to live good lives among the pagans so that they can see you, so that they can see you. Now, I feel like I need to kind of help with this one a little bit because unfortunately, in our society, the term pagan comes with all kinds of negative religious baggage. And so unfortunately, when you hear the word pagan, it oftentimes sounds like a really negative thing. That's actually not what it was intended to be. The word pagan just simply meant this. It just simply meant people who don't follow Jesus. That's all it meant. And it was never intended to be a negative thing. It was just saying, yeah, people don't follow Christ. But do you notice what Peter's saying? He's saying Christians should live beautiful lives, not apart from, not separated from those who don't follow Christ, but right in there with them so that they can see you, so that they can see you, they can observe you. They can look at the mode of living and they can be attracted to it. I really like the way one commentator puts it, a guy by the name of Stuart Hall. He said, the idea idea communicated is that Christians are to live such good lives that over time, people who've been observing our lives will evaluate their own lives in comparison and they'll make the choice to live for God. They won't be making a snap judgment, but rather an educated decision based on the leverage of our lives. I like what he says here. You see what he's saying? I think he's pointing out something that all of us maybe already know and have experienced. My guess is all of us can imagine a scenario or we've been in the scenario where we've met somebody and their first impression was very impressive. And they seemed like they were put together and they seemed like they were a godly person and you were like, wow, look at that person. But then over time, 
as you observe their character and as you observe their integrity and if you, you observe the way they talk to their spouse and you observe the way they do their family life, that they lose credibility, that they lose credibility. And I think all of us can also imagine, and we've seen, I know I've seen this before, where I've met somebody and their first impression was relatively unimpressive, but then over time, you look at their life and you're like, wow, look at that person's honesty. Look at, look at how they love people. Look at how they want to serve people. Look at, how, look at how he talks to his wife. Look at how she treats her husband. Look at how they navigate dating. Man, look at how they do their finances. Look at how they do. That is attractive. And, and there's something in us that we see that. And we say, man, I want to dig in. I want to know what's behind that. What makes them tick? That's what Peter's talking about. He says, listen, Christians, one of the best witnesses that you have is not your words. It's your lives. You live such good lives that people will see it. They'll be attracted to it. So here's what Peter's gonna say. He's gonna say Christians should live, should live first off, good lives, good lives. But now he's gonna talk about the second thing, and that is that Christians should also, in, in, in addition, should do good deeds, should do good deeds. So what's this all about? Well, you actually see this right in the same verse. Look at 1 Peter chapter two again. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds. They might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So good deeds are, are very much linked to good lives. A good life is comprised of good deeds. But what good deeds is referring to is actions, right? So this is acts of service. This is acts of love. This is acts of hospitality. This is purposely doing good towards somebody else. And what's so fascinating, I think, in the book of 1 Peter is that Peter is gonna say that Christians should do good deeds. Christians should be known for doing good deeds but especially, Peter's gonna say, when they are being accused of doing wrong. And so this, this is a major theme that you're gonna see in the book of 1 Peter. He's gonna say, when other people accuse you of doing wrong or when other people treat you wrong, that is when Christians must do good. Now, Christians should always do good, but he's gonna say, especially when you are being wronged or when you are being accused of being wrong. You should, you should respond by being good. Now, you're gonna see this theme all throughout the book of 1 Peter. I'll give you one other example. If you just go down to verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, look what he says. It's God's will that, in other words, this is what God wants. This is God's desire. That by doing good, that you silence the ignorant and foolish talk of people. You see what he says here? He says, what's your strategy when someone does wrong to you or speaks wrongly against you. He says, here's the Christian strategy. It is God's will for you that you do good to them. That's God's will. This is not passive. This is active goodness. This is what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love. I love that. A courageous confrontation of evil by doing what? By doing good. And that's God's will. And you see this all over. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, what is gonna harm you if you're eager to do good? Who's gonna harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for doing what's right, you're blessed, is what he says. I gotta tell you, this little phrase right here, when Peter says that Christians should be eager to do good, that's been messing with me all week. That little, that little statement, be eager to do good, that's been haunting me. And uh, you know, I just started to think, what would it look like? What would it look like if those of us who follow Jesus were eager to do good, eager. Now, notice it doesn't say willing to do good. It doesn't say trying to do good. It says eager to do good. And the word eager is really cool. It's actually where we get the English word zealous from. It literally means to chase after something. 
What does it look like to be eager for something? All right, well, here's a good example. Some of you right now, it's the 915 service, so I don't know, maybe not as much, but some of you might be eager to eat lunch today. And if you're eager for lunch, you're like, I wasn't, but now you brought it up, thanks, man. Um, but if you're eager to do that, wh- what do you do if you're eager? Well, what you do is you, you, start, you start daydreaming about it, all right? And you start thinking about it. Maybe for some of you, you already have the three restaurants you wanna go to this afternoon picked out, right? And you're like, if I go there, I'm gonna get this. And if I go there, I'm gonna get this. If I go there, I don't know if I should get a side of guac or not. And the answer is yes, always get the guac. And, but you're, you're, what are you doing? You're thinking, you're planning, you're strategizing, you're preoccupied with it. What are you not doing? You're not paying attention to the message because you're thinking about lunch, right? That's what you're doing. Some of you are eager for the Browns game tonight. You're eager for it. So what does it look like to be eager? Well, you start to think about it. You start to daydream about it. You start to plan for it. You're like, you know what I'm gonna do on the way home? I gotta stop and pick up this because that's what we wanna eat. And we need to get these kind of drinks because this is what we like to do. And these, we're gonna be with these people and we're gonna watch at this location on this TV. And, this. and you're already planning and you're already thinking. You already have it all mapped out for the weekend. Why? Because you're eager for it. Because you're eager for it. Now listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, can you imagine what would it look like if we were eager to do good? you imagine that? Daydreaming, planning, strategizing. I'm going to go into work tomorrow, and I'm going I'm to be eager to be good. Man, can you imagine what that might look like? How might that change the way you interact with your coworkers and the other people that you work with in your, in your family, in your marriage, even in your strained marriage? Would it change if you said, man, I'm going to be eager for it. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it looking for an opportunity to respond with goodness. And here's what Peter says. He says, you want to stand out? You want to highlight God? He says, man, live good lives. Do good deeds. And not just be willing to do, but be eager for doing good deeds. And then he's going to talk about this last one. Christians should live good lives. We should do good deeds. And then we should speak good words. I thought this was so cool. In 1 Peter 3, Peter says something pretty cool. He says, verse nine, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. So in other words, he says, listen, when other people do harm or evil against you or when they speak maliciously or slanderously against you and they insult you, he says, don't repay that. Don't repay in kind what they're giving you. He says, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing because here it is again, to this you were called. This is God's will for you. This is what you're called to. Because, because so that you might inherit a blessing. You might inherit a blessing. Now, here's what I thought was pretty interesting. He says, repay evil and insult, not with evil and insult, but repay it with blessing. Unfortunately, uh, the word blessing has become so churched that uh, I think it's kind of lost its meaning. But the word blessing, at least in this context, is actually comes from the same word we get the English word eulogy from. And so a eulogy is something that you speak at somebody's funeral. I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, when someone insults me, I'd like to help them get to their eulogy. And that's not what he means. Um, the word eulogy literally just means to speak good words. That's what it means. It comes from two Greek words, which means good words. That's what it means. So you see what he's saying? This is powerful. He says, when someone insults you, when someone speaks evil over you, when someone speaks poorly over your character or over your future, He says, you speak good over them. You speak good over them. You speak good over their character. You speak good over their future. You speak hope and love into them. That's what you do. You speak good of them. You speak good to them. You pray for them. And so when others insult you, you you bless them. Christians are to speak good 
words. Not gossips, not slanderers, not malicious in our speech. We don't repay insult for insult. We bless when others curse. We speak good over other people. And I'll tell you what I love. Look what he says. He says, when you do this, if someone insults you and you repay them with blessing, I love this. He says, your heavenly father will even give you a better blessing. He'll speak even better over you and over your future. I love this whole idea, what he's saying, I think, if you could put it in modern terms, I think what Peter's saying is, listen, when others throw shade, Christians shine light. So others throw shade, you shine light. You shine light. You speak good words over them. This is something you're gonna see throughout the book of 1 Peter. I think you see this also in uh, verse 15. If you go down in chapter three, verse 15, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have, but do this with, look at this, gentleness and respect even when other people speak maliciously or slanderously against you. He says, others might be speaking maliciously and slanderously, but how do you respond? Not argumentative, not argumentatively. I don't know how to say that word. Um, you don't blast them back on social media. How do you respond back? With gentleness and respect, with gentleness and respect. And, and he's gonna say, if you really wanna live like a highlighter and you really wanna stand out, one of the ways you do that is by speaking good words. That is one huge way that you're gonna look different than everyone else around you in the world that we're in. This actually reminds me a lot of something uh, the Apostle Paul said. I thought this was so cool. Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 says this. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe. So here's what's so cool. Paul says, uh, Christians, we should shine like the stars in the universe, that we should be like light in a dark world, that we should illuminate God's love and God's character to the world around us, that that's what we should look like. And what's so cool is, do you notice how Paul says we do that? Do you notice what he says? How do we shine like stars? Is it that we elect Christians into the highest political offices? Is that how we shine like stars? Is it that Christians are on the cutting edge of culture? Is that how we shine like stars? Nope. Look what he says. He says, you wanna shine like stars? It's actually much easier than that. Don't complain or argue. Quit complaining and stop arguing and you will stand out like a shining star. I know that sounds so simple and so basic. I think it's really profound because isn't it true? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just think about this. Most of the dialogues and conversations that we see in our society center around complaining and arguing. I mean, isn't that just true? It's just true. I was reading this article, Huffington Post. It said that 30 to 40% of our conversations are, are centered around complaining about something. I know what you're thinking. So you're like, 30 to 40, that seems like a lot. Well, if you don't believe me, just pay attention tomorrow. Just try to go an entire day without complaining about something. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever tried it? It's really hard. Like sometimes you don't even know what to say. You're like, so uh, yeah, my shoes are uh, very comfortable. I don't know what to say right now, right? And there's just nothing to say. There's another um, article that came out by the New York Times said 96% of customers will refuse to complain to the company about the thing that they're complaining about, but they will tell 15 of their friends. And so it's like, rather than complaining to the person who can do something about it, we'd rather tell 15 of our friends and make their days more cheery and happy. And that's what we like to do. And we just like to, we're drawn to it. There's just something about it. It's hardwired in us to pinpoint and to speak about what is negative. Even in small things, you guys ever notice this? I notice this in myself. And I notice it when I talk to other people, even in little things like the weather in Northeast Ohio. Did you ever notice this? We love to complain about the weather. 
and Northeast Ohio. You talk to someone in February, March in Ohio, and you're like, how are you doing? And every time it's cold, it's dark, tired. And then you talk to them in the summer. And you're like, so how are you doing? And they're like, hot, it's humid, tired. And then even now in September, September in Northeast Ohio is the most beautiful place on earth to be. I love it right now. But even yesterday, I was talking to someone, and I said, isn't it beautiful outside? And they said to me, no joke, they said, yeah, but winter's coming. <laughs> I was like, we just can't do it. We can't do it. We just are drawn to it. We want to complain about things, and we want to go that way. I think it's interesting that this word uh, complaining is a Greek word, and it's actually an onomatopoetic word. So you guys know onomatopoeia, things that sound like they are, like WAP or BAM or you know, others, 80s bands and things like that. But onomatopoeia, the word in the Greek language is the word gonguzmo, gonguzmo. And I love that because he says that's what everyone's doing. Everyone's walking around, gonguzmo. How you doing? Gonguzmo. How's the weather? Gong. You know, what do you think about the Browns game? Guzmo. And we just, we just do this. And, this is, and I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but dude, everybody complains. Everybody complains. And listen, that's my point Exactly. Everybody complains. And what, Peter's, what Paul and Peter are both gonna say is, listen, don't, it's not saying be a, some kind of you know, fake, plastic, happy Christian. It's not what he's saying. But what good is it gonna do to complain about things? You wanna stand out? You wanna look different? You wanna shine like stars? He says part of the way we do that is with our words, is with our words. And so I think if you can summarize everything that Peter is saying, you could summarize it this way. I think Peter is saying to those who follow Jesus, to those who follow, and I know not everyone follows Christ here today, but for those of us who do, he's gonna say, listen, the world is watching. Christians, the world is watching. So live a good life. Live a good life. Now, let me just, let me just say something I think is really important to say here. Those of us who follow Jesus, we are not saved by good works. It's very important for me to say that. We are saved entirely by the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is not by our good works that we're saved. None of us can boast. We're not more accepted by God because we've done good. But listen, it's also important for me to say that even though we're not saved by good works, we are saved to them. We are saved for them. And it is important. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I just need to tell you this. The way you live your life matters. If you bear the name of Jesus Christ, the way you live your life matters. Listen, the way that you work, your work ethic matters. It matters. Your integrity, it matters. It matters a lot. The way that you deal with your temper, if you bear the name of Jesus Christ, that matters. The way that you speak to your spouse, the way you engage with your children, it matters. If you bear the name of Jesus Christ, it matters very deeply. It matters very much. If you're single, the way you approach dating and the way you approach your sexuality, it matters. The way you deal at the party, it matters. If you bear the name, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, the way you drive your car matters. If you have a Jesus fish on the back of your car, it matters. That's why I don't have a Jesus fish on the back of my car, right? 
Listen, I'm just telling you, if you bear the name of Christ, if you're a business owner, the way you treat your employees matters. If you're an employee, the way that you work matters. Now, why does it all matter? I'll tell you why it matters. It matters because of this. First Peter chapter two, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds and glorify God. And do you see this? This is the only time in the New Testament that the Bible talks about people glorifying God who don't follow Jesus. What is Peter saying? This is amazing. Peter is saying that, listen, Christians, when we live attractive lives, that actually can make an impact on people and it can point people to Jesus. People might know Christ because of our lives. And so it matters. And we're not gonna get it perfect. None of us get this perfect. But man, he's gonna say we should live good lives. And so Peter's gonna say, the world's watching. So by goodness, live a good life. Others are gonna do evil towards you. Here's what Peter's gonna say. This is going to happen. Don't be surprised. People will do harm to you. People will hurt you. People will speak evil about you. And he's gonna say, you know what you should do, Christians? Do good deeds. Do good deeds. Be eager to do good. Now, why? Why, if it's not our natural impulse to do that, which we already talked about, Peter said that, why would we ever do this? And I'll tell you why. Because this is precisely what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's precisely what he's done. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see what this says? It says that when we sinned against Jesus, that Jesus repaid us with good. That the very wounds that were inflicted upon Jesus because of our sins were the very wounds by which our sins were healed. When we did harm to him, he did good to us. When we did evil towards him, he blessed us. And so when we repay evil with good, we, are, we look more like Jesus We look more like Jesus and we highlight his love to the onlooking world. I was thinking about this passage this week and it was just blowing me away. But I was reminded in John chapter 13, this is in the Last Supper, the Last Supper, the the night before Jesus was uh, crucified. And I want you to notice this paradoxical fact pattern. This just blows me away. It says the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And I don't know if you caught that, but I want you to look at these three simple facts that will blow your mind. Number one, fact number one, Judas was gonna betray Jesus. Jesus had poured his life into Judas for three years, had loved him, had served him, and now Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus knew that. Fact number two, Jesus knew that he had all, that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew he was the most powerful person in the universe. So Judas is gonna betray him. Jesus can do whatever he wants. And look what he does. So, it says, so not but, so he got up and he washed their feet, including Judas, washed his feet, knowing full well what Judas was gonna do to him. (sighs) Jesus is not like us. He's so good, he's so good. And his impulse is, when you betray me, I'm gonna serve you. 
And when you harm me, I'm gonna bless you. He's so good. He's so good. And you know, here's my challenge for you this week. In light of Jesus' goodness, what if this week, what if you did something good for the person that's most difficult for you to do good towards? What would it look like if you decided this week that you would wash Judas' feet? How could you do that? I triple dog dare you to try it. Serve someone in this way. I promise you if you do, I think three things are gonna happen. I think number one, first off, I think your heart, I think your heart is gonna tenderize. I think God is gonna use that to transform you. Number two, I think it's gonna make an impact. Now, I can't tell you, I, could, I can't promise you that it's gonna make the impact that you desire, but I believe that God is gonna be seen through you. Now, that person might respond and they might be humbled by that. They might be aggravated by it because maybe they're not ready to, to see the love of Jesus yet, but it's gonna make an impact. And then number three, what I believe is gonna happen is this. I believe you're gonna be blessed. I believe God is gonna bless you because Peter said he would. And you're like, what's that gonna look like? I don't know, not sure. Maybe it's just that your heart's gonna be tender and maybe that's the blessing. I don't, I don't know, but I believe that's gonna happen. And so he's gonna say this, the world is watching, live good lives. Others are gonna do evil, seek good. Others are gonna speak against you. They will. People will insult you. People are going to speak rumors about you. People are going to drag your name through the mud. It's gonna happen. It's going to happen. And he's gonna say, so Christians, speak good words. Speak good words. Now, why would we ever do that? Why would we ever do that? Here's why. Because that's what Jesus does for us. Because Jesus does the same thing. That's what it says in 1 Peter. It says they hurled insults at Jesus. He was on the cross. They were crucifying him. And the Bible says that they criticized and they hurled insults, but Jesus did not retaliate. Do you know what Jesus did when people were criticizing him on the cross? He prayed for them. He spoke good over them. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is so good. He speaks so good. If you don't believe in the goodness of God, just look at the cross. Look at the cross. I had this thought this week, and uh, I'll try to articulate it, but it uh, was really impactful to me. And uh, what I was thinking was this, is sometimes, sometimes I have a way of projecting onto God uh, my personality. And so sometimes I imagine that God is looking at me and that the way he speaks about me is something like this. That he looks at me and he looks at all my struggles and he looks at all my failures and he thinks to himself, my gosh, when are you gonna get together, you idiot? Come on, man, quit being an idiot, let's go. And sometimes I'll, I'll say that and what I realized is that what I'm doing most of the time is I'm actually projecting what I would say if I was God onto God. But when I was reading this passage this week, it occurred to me, God would never say that because he's not like me and he's not like you. He's not like us. When we curse him, he blesses us. And when we speak evil against him, he speaks blessing over our future. He's so good. He's so good. And listen, I believe that it's only when you and I are wrecked by the goodness of God that we can take that same goodness and impart it to other people and that other people might be changed. And so Peter's gonna say, the world's watching, live a good life. Others are gonna do evil, so you speak good deeds. Others are gonna speak against you, so you speak good words. And if you do that, when you do that, God is gonna be highlighted through you, and the world is gonna see our Savior, and they might glorify him on the day he visits us. 
The band's gonna come up and we'll pray together. Well, Father, I just wanna say thank you that you're so good. You are just so good to us and we don't deserve that. I don't know why, I don't know why you've decided to be so kind and why you have considered us even worthy of forgiveness because we're, we're just not. But yet you in your loving kindness have forgiven us and loved us and spoken well over us. So help us to be people who do that too. Father, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. And Father, we, we know that we're gonna fail at this. We just know we will. But God, I'm thankful that when we do fail, that you've given us forgiveness. We have forgiveness. So thank you for that. And I pray, Jesus, that even today, that even today, would you help us to be people who strive to live a good life, who are eager to do good things, and who are seeking to speak good words. And Father, as we do that, we know that that's not just gonna change us, but it's gonna change the world that we live in. And so, Father, we need your grace. We need your help. We pray for that. I ask you that uh, even as we have a chance to worship and sing, Lord, help us to be blessed for having heard the things that we heard and help us to live differently as a result of it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.